Hey, Phillies Nation fans, thanks for tuning in, for downloading, or perhaps streaming the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Ian Riccoboni, and I'm ready to bring you a very special edition of the PN Podcast with the former editor-in-chief and co-star of Phillies Nation TV, Pat Gallen, CBS3's own. But before we get down to that, we have some words from our sponsors. And boy, I cannot wait. Tomorrow is the day. Out of the Park Baseball 17 will be available for Windows, Mac, and Linux. And right now, this is out of the Out of the Park Baseball you've been waiting for. Not only does Out of the Park Baseball 17 feature its trademark immersion into a hardball strategy and management experience like no other, including nearly 150 years of baseball history in a single package, it now includes the MLBPA license for the very first time, along with the returning MLB.com license too. This means all the real teams, players, logos, ballparks, and more, you simply cannot get more authentic. Even better, if you order now, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to OOTPdevelopments.com, that's OOTPdevelopments.com, clicking the order button. Just enter the code PHILLIES17, that's PHILLIES17 at checkout, to not only get a discount, but to also help support us, Phillies Nation, indie sports video game development, and all of the people who work to bring you the great game out of the ballpark, out of the park, baseball, 17. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, and enter the code PHILLIES17 at checkout for a special discount and help support the Phillies Nation podcast. This is a great game. It's going to be available at midnight, March 22nd. I'm addicted to it. Steve's addicted to it. We can't wait for this year's edition. We implore you to order it now. With that very special message out of the way, let's get down to this episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Ian Riccoboni, and as we mentioned today, I'll be joined by a very special guest, the former editor-in-chief of philliesnation.com, the former co-host of Phillies Nation TV on Comcast Network and Comcast Sportsnet, Pat Gallen. Pat Gallen is now with CBS3. He's one of the premier sports anchors in Philadelphia, if not the entire country, and we're excited to welcome him back to Phillies Nation. Before we get to Pat, though, let's talk about these Phillies. Are you buying what the Phillies are doing? And by that, I mean, are you buying that the Phillies are on pace to win 113 games? That's right. With today's win over the Detroit Tigers, Aaron Nola picking up the victory, looking good, striking out three over six innings, the Phillies are now 14-5-1. and one extrapolated over the course of a full 162-game season, that would put them around 113 wins. If you really believe that the Phillies are going to win 113 games, I got a bridge for you in Brooklyn. But if you don't, what separates this team from the next level? So earlier today on philliesnation.com, we posted an article that I wrote over the weekend about Freddie Galvis and Charlie Morton struggling. 
And what was interesting in writing about that was as I was writing about the two of the only players that are struggling in the spring training for the Phillies was that I realized the comings and goings of Freddie Galvis and Charlie Morton may be the telltale signal that the Phillies are ready to move on to the next step of the rebuilding phase. Across town with the Sixers, across the street or caddy corner, however you want to describe it, the Sixers seemingly haven't moved out of first gear. They are still in the assets acquisition phase. With the trades of Cole Hamels and Ken Giles, the Phillies have effectively loaded up on assets. But with the surprising performances of Vincent Velasquez, and to a lesser extent, Nick Williams in limited time, and prospects like Roman Quinn, J.P. Crawford, Will the future be sooner rather than later? And that's either the most profound thing I've ever said or the most poorly constructed sentence I've ever said. So you can, be the, you can decide on that. One of the things that we have right now on the brand new and improved philliesnation.com, check out the new layout, is kind of a couple questions in that article with, with uh, Freddie Galvis and Charlie Morton. If Galvis starts slow, do you think the pressure will be on to bring up J.P. Crawford, and if Charlie Morton plays to his career averages, and he is the fourth or fifth starter, and Adam Morgan, or Vincent Velasquez, or Mark Appel, or insert your favorite Phillies prospect pitcher here, is doing well in the minors, how quickly do the Phillies move to insert the future into the starting rotation? Since our last podcast, there's been a number of comings and goings. The bullpen situation's got a little bit clearer. Colton Murray has been sent down. Colton Murray had a pretty good spring in uh, some limited appearances. Hector Neris, not sent down, but since we last spoke, may have taken himself out of the bullpen equation. You had guys like Jeremy Hellickson uh, throw five no-hit innings yesterday against the Astros. Did a phenomenal job. He is on track and on pace to be the opening day starter. Are you okay with that? Do you think it should go to someone a little less mercutial, <laughs> mercutial, <laughs> or uh, you know, someone that might be here a little bit longer? Because Hellickson to me feels like a hired gun that might be traded at the end of the year. Would it be symbolic for the Phillies rebuild if Aaron Nola perhaps started the opening day game? That's something that Steve and I will talk about when Steve and I get together tomorrow. So your regularly scheduled edition of the Phillies Nation podcast will air tomorrow with myself and Steve Carino. But as you page through the the great articles on philliesnation.com, including the article about Galvis and Morton, and the power output that the Phillies have, they ranked second in the major leagues and homers heading into today's spring training, emphasis on spring training game against Detroit. Um, there's a lot more power there than people anticipated. Now, most of it has come from the bat of the major league leading home run artist, Mikel Franco. Uh, but some of it has come from surprising places like Cedric Hunter, a non-roster invitee that is on track and on pace and on target to earn a roster spot with the Phillies as a left-handed threat. Hunter, of course, hit, hit a go-ahead home run today in the Phillies' 4-3 win over the Tigers, his third of the spring. And he looks increasingly like a player that has potential to be a late bloomer. He's always been a guy with a little bit of speed, a little bit of power, and a decent eye at the plate. 
It'll be interesting to see at 28 years old if Cedric Hunter uh, will be able to develop beyond anything in more than a role or platoon player here with the Phillies in 2016. If you put a, the proverbial gun to my head, I would think that opening the year, the Phillies outfield would be Peter Borges, Odubel Herrera, and Tyler Goodell, with two lefties on the bench in David Lowe and Cedric Hunter. I thought that about a week ago, and I'm standing by it. Um, <laughs> entering today, uh, everybody but Goodell was hitting over 300. Um, Herrera had yet to draw a walk, but uh, his batting average is well over 350 entering today. And I think that Peter Borges is a very intriguing bounce-back candidate. Uh, it's not every day that you get displaced by a guy the caliber of Mike Trout and then uh, get injured and try and find your footing in a situation where the team is ready to win now like he was in St. Louis. I think the pressure's off a little bit. I think Borges will play a little loose. And I think you'll see some great things from Borges this season. His defense and his speed are certainly an asset. And I think if he can do half as well as he's doing in the spring toward the top of the Phillies lineup, I think that will make Macal Franco infinitely more dangerous, so on and so forth down the line. So enough with current Phillies talk. Uh, we're going to be joined by our very special guest at this time. Uh, he was the former editor-in-chief of philliesnation.com. He was the co-host of Phillies Nation TV on Comcast Sportsnet and the Comcast Network. Uh, he had been with many, many various radio stations throughout Philadelphia for quite some time, but you can now see him on CBS3, and you can also hear him occasionally on 94WIP. He, of course, is Pat Gallen. So without further ado, we'll take you to the conversation with Pat Gallen. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody to a very special edition of the Phillies Nation podcast. I am your host, Ian Riccoboni, and today we are joined and have the distinct pleasure of being joined by the former editor-in-chief of philliesnation.com, uh, one of the co-hosts of Phillies Nation TV, and you can now see him on CBS3 Philadelphia as one of the premier sports anchors in the city. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Pat Gallen. Pat? Uh, welcome to the the PN podcast. Something that you you used to do. <laughs> yeah, way, it was uh, way back in the day. I think when we first uh, when we first really got rolling with with Phillies Nation, right after they won the uh, won the World Series, we started doing this, and it was fantastic. It was such a great way to you know get information across, but also it's a uh, it's a little easier than typing out your thoughts on a daily basis. You just throw a podcast down for twenty twenty five minutes. You have fun with it, and uh, yeah, I guess it was it's been a been a long time, but uh, I'm happy that you're bringing it back, Ian. Yeah, so we're I mean we're rolling right along. We're we're pretty deep into not only the podcast season but the spring season as well. Mm -hmm. And what a better time to bring it back because this Phillies team looks like they could go all the way, right, Pat? I mean they're they are in, <laughs> they are in first place, virtual tie in the Grapefruit League. Uh, they won earlier today, four to three. Uh, the first thing I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you think this will last? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's completely sustainable. They'll probably win 95 games this year. <laughs> no, no. I, I, you know how it goes in spring training. It's teams that are among the elite will, they'll rest their players. I mean, they're just basically 
workmanlike in getting ready for the regular season. So you, your St. Louis Cardinals, your Washington Nationals, the Dodgers, the Cubs, like they don't care what their record is in spring training. They're just worried about getting their work in. But I do think that there is there's positives that you can take from having the best record in the Grapefruit League, and that's obviously because they have such young talent and everyone is fighting to be seen, fighting to be known. And when you have that, it makes for it just makes for more fun and it makes for better baseball. And I think that there is value in what the Phillies are doing right now to say that would be sustainable into the regular season, I think is crazy because 162 games later, you're going to see that this team probably isn't very good as far as their record is concerned. But I think you and I both know it's much deeper than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you extrapolate the record over 162 games, they'd be on pace to win 113 games <laughs> next year. So I do agree that they're probably not this good. But, um, you know, there there have been a couple names that have jumped out. And you, you mentioned young players fighting for positions. Uh, Vincent Velasquez is a guy that they got in the Ken Giles trade. He struck out, I believe, 16 and 14 innings, 14 spring innings. He looks like a keeper. He looks like a guy that's been motivated by the competition. And then there's there's veterans, too, who are fighting to be seen, um, who know that this might be their last contract, like former All-Star closer Andrew Bailey. Uh, mm-hmm. He's with the Phillies. And Peter Borges, uh, one of the unfortunate victims of Mike Trout becoming one of the greatest players of all time <laughs> in Los Angeles. But uh, one of the players that might surprise folks when we say that he's struggling to be seen is is Ryan Howard. And... Ryan Howard, of course, he has a minimum of $35 million left on his contract. Um, I think we've just about beat this horse to death. <sighs> but an interesting thing happened a couple weeks ago. Um, he had spoken to the media, and we saw a more human side of Ryan Howard. Yeah. And that got me to thinking, um, how should the fans react to Ryan Howard this year? Because obviously the the performance doesn't match the contract. Right. But knowing that this is his last go round, or maybe his last go round, if not just with the Phillies, maybe in baseball, um, how should the fans react to a guy that, you know, genuinely, I think we all realized was human when he relayed some of the problems going on within his family mm-hmm. uh, and, and things like that? Well, each individual fan is going to react differently. If I had to give my opinion to every fan, it would be to try and celebrate him the best we know how. That being said, when you know that there is a youth movement that's about to happen and you see this guy who's holding on and after watching that press conference, it it seems like he's still holding on to what he believes is his talent level of six or seven years ago. And, And to me, that hurts him in the eyes of the fan. Mm-hmm. Because if if I am a paying customer and I, I'm, I'm a fan of Ryan Howard and have been a fan of Ryan Howard, I want him to be believable. And what he was spouting off during that very interesting press conference was not believable. He still thinks that he's this 40 home run, 130 RBI, you know, game changing threat. And really, I think everyone knows that that he's not, except for him. Now, I don't know if this is just some sort of coping mechanism that happens with athletes when they get toward the end of their career. I think, though, if he had taken it upon himself to say to the fans and say to the organization, look, I know that my skills are declining. I know that I am not 
the same player that I was even four years ago or five years ago. I'm not that guy anymore. If you're outward with that, and it, it, it makes you more believable, and I think fans would side with him a little bit more. So that, to me, was a problem. That press conference was a little bit of a problem because he seemed to not really want to take on the role of a platoon player, that he still believes, oh, I can play 155 games, I can give you these big-time numbers, when I, I know that everyone believes that that's not quite the case. And look, I get it. When you're an athlete and, and you're deteriorating and you're declining, it's hard to come to that realization. And on top of it, I think last year really rubbed him the wrong way. He had a lot of different things going on in his personal life, like you mentioned. And I think that the competitor in him believes that, all right, I'm I'm not that bad. I can be a little bit better. Maybe not to where I was years ago, but I can be a little bit better. And I want the fans to see that side of me before I move on. But that that press conference was just it was so odd. So I don't want to tell the fans what to do or what to believe. But I think this the end of this era is really hurting people's perception of what Ryan Howard actually is. And let's face it, he was one of the best power hitters of the last, what, 20 years or so? I mean, since basically since Barry Bonds retired, so maybe the last 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of sad to see him go out this way. But these last three or four years, when you deteriorate the way he did, and there's no getting away from it, there's no, there's no getting out of it, that's just going to hurt the fans' perception of, of who he really is. I think that in time... You know, time heals all wounds, and I think in the next five years after he retires or ten years, whatever it might be, we'll look back, all of us will, fondly on what we've seen from him in his career. But for right now, it's going to be hard for fans to see the youth movement around this team and then this albatross at first base sucking up $35 million this year and not really understanding, at least outwardly, not understanding like where this team is and where he is as an individual. Yeah, and I think today we saw one of the first steps in at least cementing the platoon. Uh, Brock Stasi was sent down either earlier today or late last night. And, you know, that kind of limits your options at first base to Darren Ruff and Ryan Howard. And very early in spring training, Pete McCannon uh, very almost emphatically said, yeah, we're going to explore the real platoon. Mm-hmm. And um, they did that a lot last year as well. And what was weird for me with the press conference was that um, – the the disconnect that I felt and that you felt mm-hmm. um, actually humanized him because I've been in situations where I thought I was able to do something that that clearly <laughs> everyone around me realized that sure. I couldn't or maybe that I, I wasn't ready for. Um, so for me, I empathized with that because I saw the disconnect and I thought, oh, no, oh, no. And but so let for- me ask you this. Let me mm-hmm. Let me say this. If you had been in the same situation for many years, multiple years, for a long time, that changes things. This just wasn't a one-year off or two-year thing. This is a five-year thing now with Ryan Howard where he's clearly not the same player and everybody knows it except for him. So there's a difference there. There is. And that's the incredible, unexplainable (laughs) part to me. And it, it, it makes me want to cheer him, though, in... It's not because of the the family issues he brought up or whatnot, because the thing that got me was was realizing the disconnect, but also realizing that when the when the piece of Jason Stark information came out that he doesn't believe that Ryan Howard will be with the team through the end of the year. 
I realized that this might be the last time we realistically see Ryan Howard in a Phillies uniform. And I had this weird rush and wave of memories and emotions. And I mean, I was a 20 year old man in college and the only poster I had on my wall was Ryan Howard <laughs> after, after he won the MVP. And, and thankfully my wife, you know, had, she made you take that down. Right? <laughs> no, she made me take Bruce Springsteen down, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I had all the, this wave of emotion and, and things that things were coming out that I forgot were there, you know, and so maybe I'm just nostalgic. But, you know, for me, I think the disconnect, the disconnect made him sympathetic. And I'm hoping Phillies fans cheer him, because if somebody offered me a thirty five million dollar contract or twenty five million dollar year contract, I would sign it in a heartbeat and I would sign it twice as fast if there was a ten million dollar sure. buyout at the end of it. So. You know, I'm hoping that with this youth movement, you know, with guys like Odubo Herrera, who surprised everybody last year, um, he's hitting really well in spring. I believe he's hitting like three. I'll have to check the stats after today, but he was hitting over 360 heading into today's game. Um, you know, maybe that energizes him. Maybe he does become the right handed smasher that everybody mm-hmm. thinks he can be. But, you know, every time he comes up this year, I, I think I'm going to make an effort to try and appreciate it, whether it's a strikeout on three straight curveballs <laughs> or or a bomb that, you know, he still has one of the the fastest off bat velocities. You well, know? let me let me ask you this. If w- would your opinion? Well, see, you have a different opinion than I think most Phillies fans do, because if I know you as well as I think I do, you you are much more nostalgic than a lot of other right. a lot of other people because everyone sort of lives like in the here and the now, and that's fine, and, and not that they shouldn't. But if he had if he had said prior to the season, this is going to be my last year, yeah. I think everyone would have been on board with like, all right, let's celebrate the hell out of him because this is going to be it. He I, seems to think he's got years left or something. I, I, I'm getting a different vibe from him. Yeah, and that that was crazy to me too. So even if he said this is my this may be even if he qualified it, this may be my last year with the Phillies mm-hmm. because everybody knows they're not going to pick up the ten million dollar uh, or the twenty seven and a half million dollar right. <laughs> option next year. Um, even if he would have qualified it, I think the the vibe would still be there. Um, it would be similar to this is my last year. Even if he qualified it, this may be my last year. Or this may be my last year at the Phillies. Right. I agree with you. Um, but I think, and I'll throw this back at you. Would it be different for you if the Phillies had any reliable top flight prospect at first base knocking down the door? Well, see, but you can move a guy to first base. Like if you if you had a guy that you wanted his bat in the lineup so badly and first base was an option, you, you could possibly put him there. Right. So even a couple of years ago, like if Ryan Howard hadn't been there, Darren Ruff would have been the everyday first baseman. And maybe things turn out a little bit differently in Darren Ruff's career. Maybe it doesn't, maybe it does. Uh, mm-hmm. who's, who's to know? But the fact that there hasn't been anyone knocking down the door, a la, you know, the Jim Tomey, Ryan Howard years, uh, I don't know that that really makes much of a difference in in my eyes. Uh, does it for you? I think it does. I think knowing that knowing that there isn't someone who's been or being explicitly blocked. Like I, Brock Stasi, I think is a product of of Redding's ballpark dimensions. Mm-hmm. A little bit like Ruff. I think Ruff's power is truer and, and more real. Uh, but I 
I'm not buying into the Brock Stasi hype. Maybe Andrew Knapp from behind the plate who hit the cover off the ball this spring. And yeah. Was one of the hottest hitters last year in, in single A and then double A Reading. Maybe that's the guy. And, and, you know, he's getting to be 24, turns 25. Maybe you look for him to move him to first base to get him in the majors. But, you know, it I, it is a little different for me because I'm ready to celebrate the Ryan Howard nostalgia tour. <laughs> and, and I don't know if that's because I'm just happy that the whole ordeal is over or will be over, um, which I think is a little bit of it, too, to be honest. Like, I, I think that part of me is just happy that this is there's an ending and there's some closure to it on the horizon. Yeah, but. I don't I don't disagree with that part. I, look, I some of my fondest sports memories and baseball memories revolve around Ryan Howard and what that Phillies team did. 10 years ago, eight years ago, whatever it might be. But again, like going back to that press conference, it, it, it's, it, it's weird seeing an athlete that you know and I know and that everyone else knows has just completely broken down and is no longer the same player believe that he is the same player. I mean, it was just sort of mind-blowing that he was so defensive in how the media treated him and how uh, clearly how – it was there was an effect of how his family had had treated him, but he seemed to put blame on a lot of other people, and I don't think that that is that's fair to the media. I don't think that that's fair to the fan base. I mean, if you're not putting up good numbers, and I, I get it, he's been hurt a lot, whatever it might be. If you're just not putting up good, good numbers, people aren't going to back you. That's that's the realization. People spend very good money, and a lot of the money they have spent goes directly. You know, not directly, but it goes to your contract. It goes to right. paying for a player. Being able to fill that ballpark helps facilitate those kinds of things. And look, the fan base, I think, gave him ample time to turn it around and be, become the player or close to the player that he was years ago. And it just doesn't work that way. When you get to 35 or 36 years old, you can't fend off father time like you were able to uh, in the in the PED era. So. I don't know. I, I, I would like to look at it from your perspective, and maybe there are – I think you're of the minority of Phillies fans that look at it that way, but I, I, I just can't. I mean, I think that it, it has gone on long enough, and I think that if he wants to be remembered better by this team's fan base, he should have said to the team, all right, I, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to, to move on or I'm willing to do things differently here. I'm willing to platoon because I understand what my legacy means, and I didn't get that that vibe. Yeah, well, we'll move on to the other remaining member of the 2008 championship team. Uh, yeah, the yeah, man, <laughs> you 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 and I both covered in great detail. Uh, Chooch, he for the very first time in his career seemed to take a step back last year. He hit 211, uh, got on base at a 290 clip. Both about 50 points below his career average. Um, the slugging wasn't there, about a, over 100 points below his career average. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in an interesting position. He's with Panama uh, right now to try and qualify for the World Baseball Classic. In his absence, Cameron Rupp, who is a little bit of a late starter by Major League standards, uh, he's been hitting the cover off the ball. I know we used that expression earlier, but he's been doing very, very well. He's he's hit over 400, um, and he's a guy last year who came in. He had nine home runs for the Phillies. It seems like those two will be the catchers. Um, 
the level of scrutiny, the level of <laughs> intensity surrounding Chooch is much lower. Yeah. Uh, despite having a PED suspension on his plate and despite not having the dramatic peak that Ryan Howard did, everyone seems to hold Chooch in, in much higher regard at this point. Where do you see Chooch landing maybe middle of the year, end of the year, maybe not team, but how do you think his season plays out as he heads into what I believe has to be the 10th or 11th season of his career? Yeah, I, I would think that this would be it for him, and I would hate to see him hang on just for a paycheck. And I, again, I, not ever having been a professional athlete, I know that it's hard to walk away from something you love. And if, you know, I've seen Chooch now for, for the last, how long has it been? 10, 11 years? I mean, this guy genuinely loves baseball and his teammates love him. So him being around is never a problem. But as you mentioned with the numbers, I mean, his he's clearly not the same guy. So again, I would hate for him to move on to Colorado or something just to try and grab a paycheck or, or whatever it might be. But I do think it's different because of the lovability factor with Chooch after all these years. And let's face it, he's, he was an underdog. He came mm-hmm. out of nowhere. He stole the hearts of the fans. They're always going to react to that differently. And not that Ryan Howard didn't, but there has been like I mentioned, that four or five year downward trend with Howard where you didn't have the same thing with, with Chooch. Although you, you mentioned the PED thing, I don't know how certain fans take that, but I don't think that takes away from his, the lovability factor of Carlos Ruiz. That being said, middle of the year, if he wants one more chance at a, at a ring, I wouldn't begrudge him from, from wanting that. And Mm -hmm. Matt Clintac might, oblige him with a with a trade somewhere good where he can hang on one more time I think that that would actually be a a great thing for Chooch but him not having been the star and having played at that level for that long I think is is the difference in Chooch versus Ryan yeah and and that's a very interesting point and I, I hadn't considered that that maybe one of the greatest benefits is that Chooch hadn't reached the peaks and that he had kind of just bubbled up into the into the eyes of Philadelphia fans as a star and didn't really hit hit the high because in Philadelphia we know how quickly the the low can be once you've hit the high. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it I'm interested to see the catching position to me is is the most interesting battle that I think will take place throughout the year because I don't think Cameron Rupp's the answer. Um and I really do like Jorge Alfaro and Andrew Knapp. Mm-hmm. Um different Different scouting reports indicate that Nap it ranges anywhere from bad to okay behind the plate, <laughs> where Alfaro ranges from okay to good. Um, so I think you're losing something maybe defensively, even in Ruiz's old age. And I think Ruiz might be a value with with the number of young pitchers that are coming up and that potentially uh, yeah. could come up. I, I totally agree with that. And I'm on board with you with Alfaro and, and Andrew Knapp. And I was actually talking to a buddy of mine recently about Andrew Knapp. And we kind of had the same conversation with, well, is Carlos Ruiz being on this roster keeping Andrew Knapp from being that backup and getting his bat into the lineup where, you know, maybe you can put him at first base on occasion or, you know, you have him behind the plate from here and there um, and and split the role with with Cameron Rupp. Maybe he's not ready and maybe it is a good thing that you give him one more year of seasoning and then bring him up next year. But that's a great point about Carlos Carlos Ruiz being – so smart and and just knowing the game so well that it can only serve to help 
the young pitchers on this roster, and even the even the older ones, I I, I fail to see how it would be a problem with Jeremy Hellickson or or Charlie Morton guys that have been around. Right. I mean that Chooch is so well liked and is such a wealth of knowledge that I think one more year of having him around and him playing, you know, fifty games or whatever it might be certainly can't hurt. But I'm with you in the fact that I don't think Cameron Rupp is the answer. I think Cameron Rupp will be a great backup. I right. think he's he's that guy that's sort of like the Chooch, like you know he could be the backup here. He could be like the Chris Coast type guy where you get some some years out of him playing 60 or 70 or if there's an injury he's got to play 100 games okay one year that's fine um but i i I agree with you across the board that chooch with the young pitchers is great rup really not the answer but i do like that he can bring you some power and that he calls a decent game and then you've got these two guys waiting in the wings where you just hope one of them pans out and becomes uh, very good to you know maybe a star yeah it's it's interesting nap Napstar has risen so quickly, and I think catcher is is so much different from every other position in baseball in that the everyday catcher will get about 70 to 75 percent of the games, Mm -hmm. which leaves a pretty large window for the backup to actually get acclimated to major league pitching from both the hitter's point of view and the catching point of view. So it's interesting that you brought, I hadn't considered Nap as the backup for whatever reason. I had always thought of him as feast or famine as the starter. So yeah, that, that actually might change my tune a little bit on Chuch. Well, I'll, I'll have to digest that a little bit. <laughs> well, I know it's, it's hard because we think of these prospects. If he's a top 10 prospect or top 15 prospect that you ultimately will slot him in as a starter. Uh, is there value in getting a guy acclimated to the major leagues as a backup? I mean, you want him to get as many at-bats as possible to see as much pitching as possible in the minors. So from that perspective, I get why you would put Nap at AAA or whatever it might be. But then again, does it hurt to see major league pitching, the best pitching, on an irregular basis? Right. Now, that's a good question. And uh, there's not very many examples of guys, I think, who came up not getting regular playing time at a younger age. Nap is 24, but that's still relatively young, all things considered. Right. And then blossoming into anything more than a kind of a reserve for the rest of their career. But with that being said, we've talked about those two positions. We could go on all day, but I know you, you have a limited schedule. So I wanted to, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to hit you up with some, uh, with some quick questions and predictions. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the original Vegas line for the Phillies, the first line that came up was 65 and a half. Mm-hmm. A revised line has since come out, putting them at 69 and a half. Mm. Uh, there's some optimism around the team, and I think the line has adjusted uh, consummate and in parallel to their spring performance. Right. We, we mentioned earlier the uh, we don't really neither of us think that they'll win 113 games. But <laughs> if we set it at 69 and a half, are you are you taking the over or the under on this team? I would take the over slightly. I was thinking somewhere around 71. Um, then again, once you get into the dog days of summer and it really gets tough, you'll have to see how this, because let's face it, they don't really have a deep outfield. They don't have a ton of power on this team. If they want to win that many games, they're going to have to have a really good bullpen and their starting pitching is going to have to go fairly deep into games to, to keep these close games winnable. So, because clearly they're not going to outslug teams unless Franco hits, you know, 55 home runs this year. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit more bullish than Vegas, not much. And maybe that's just the the Philadelphian in me coming out. But I do think that there's, you know, some young talent to 
break out a little bit this year, uh, it's it's hard for me to say that they'll win more than maybe 71 games. I, I know that like this spring has people kind of locked in and, uh, you know, maybe they are going to be better. Maybe they can get close to 500 or what, whatever it might be, but we've got to temper those expectations because I think it's going to be a little bit tougher than people want to believe. Yeah. And, and part of those expectations come with the young players. So the next question is, will we see JP Crawford uh, before the end of the year? Yes, I do think we will see him in September. Um, that, of course, will be dictated by how he plays. Uh, if, if last year's any precursor and if his you know, top five ranking as far as top major league, minor league players is concerned, if that has any bearing on anything, then he should be up here soon. But I, again, he's another guy. I, I can't wait to see him, mm-hmm. but I don't want to force it. Right. I've had there's another conversation I've had with with multiple people. It's like, well, why not give him the keys and why not start him at the major league level? Some guys, look, let's not he let's not force it. Let's not force it with a guy who you think and hope is going to be your franchise centerpiece. We saw the garbage that Dominic Brown had to go through going up and down and up and down and sitting and playing and sitting and playing. And I don't know if that had anything to do with how he turned out, but I'm sure that it didn't help. So with J.P. Crawford, uh, long answer short, I do think we'll see him this year, but I'm willing to bet that it would be September call-up and not before it. One thing that's working in his favor compared to Dominic Brown is uh, the level of competition in front of him. Freddie Galvis, not very good last year. Right. And uh, one of the worst regulars so far in spring. I know it's a very, very small sample, but Galvis hasn't been playing so well, and I wonder if the murmurs will grow louder. <laughs> oh, yes, they will. If, if Freddie's hitting 235 May 15th, people are going to, and let's say J.P. Crawford is doing what he's done all along at AA, or you know, if, he's, if they bring him up to AAA, mm-hmm. you know it's going to get loud. That groundswell is going to be like, well, let's just do it. Let, let's do it. Because Jimmy Rollins was, what, 21 when he came up? Yeah, he was, uh, he was drafted in 96, came up end of 2000. So, yeah, I believe he had just turned, he was about to turn 22, but I think he was 21 at the time, yeah. So it's it has been done, but let's let's not force it. Yeah, <laughs> and final, final question. Uh, does Ryan Howard, this is a very Ryan Howard-themed episode, but do you think Ryan Howard ends the year on the Phillies? Uh, and that is a great question, and... I think yes, because I feel like if they had a taker, he would be gone already. Mm-hmm. And I, because the money was not an issue. I mean, they were willing to eat quite a bit. I don't know how much that was going to be, and maybe there are differences in what Matt Clentak wants to do as opposed to what Ruben Amaro did as general manager. But I think it's telling that there were no takers on him in previous years, especially last year, because you knew that things weren't going as planned and there just seemed to be problems and he seemed to be more ornery than usual. And it, it would, it would have seemed like he would have benefited from a new perspective and a a new team and new teammates and just a fresh start. Uh, so I'm going to say he does finish the year here. Uh, then again, if, if the time comes in late July, comes around and he's like, look, I want to get out of here. Then maybe that does change. 
<laughs> well, yeah, and I wonder too. I mean, as I look around baseball, it seems like everybody has a better version of Ryan Howard already on the team, which I think is prohibitive to him moving. Right. right. Uh, so the only scenario I see is just a straight buyout, and I don't know that the Phillies. I don't know that the Phillies would put him through that. But if we look back to nineteen, I believe eighty six, they did that to Steve Carlton. So. It's, right. you know, and you know, a lot of the same ownership has ties to the current ownership. So while it would be a very emotional decision, there is some precedent. It's it's way far in the rearview mirror, but <laughs> there is some there. So, well, I think if they were if they were also vying for a, you know, an NL East title and this guy is kind of bringing you down, maybe they go about it a different way. But if you think about it, like as long as you get at-bats for the important players that you want to see play, as long as you do it the right way and you platoon them with Ruff in a way that fits and what we've seen pretty much does work since Ruff crushes lefties, mm-hmm. I think if you do it that way and then we know that they're, they're a 70-win team or they're somewhere around there, when September comes around and you have all these call-ups, he kind of slides into the background anyway. So I don't see him as being like a, a problem, uh, but... Then again, if it's not going the way he wants it to go, maybe he does push for for some movement. Well, yeah, that'll be interesting. And you you do know, Pat, that when you said NLE's championship, I'm going to take that audio, cut it out, and put the headline, (laughs) Pat Gallen says Phillies will win NLE's. No, don't do it. I was talking to Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs, and he, he quoted me a number that appears in the ESPN preview issue. He said... There's a about one in 200 chance, which isn't that crazy. Uh, but considering that there's only five teams that could win the NL East, that is a little crazy. Well, I mean, stranger stranger things have happened, right? Yeah, it's about 40 times the normal expected odds. So. <laughs> and, yeah, I'm not putting a lot of money on that. But, uh, I mean, I, I just look for... You know, they're not going to win 95 games, but I think any win above whatever Vegas has put down will be will be nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Pat, thank you for joining us today and uh, keep killing it on CBS <laughs> three. We watch you. And uh, as from all of us at Phillies Nation, we're excited by your success and we uh, we, we know it's going to continue. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on this this old podcast. I'm so glad it's back. <laughs> right. Well, thanks, Pat. See you, man. Wow, it's always great to catch up with Pat. Uh, Pat is indirectly responsible for a lot of the reasons that I do what I do. Uh, Pat really helped me get my foot in the door with not only Phillies Nation, but then that turned into things with Ring of Honor, so on and so forth. So thank you, Pat, for all that you've done for me. But also thank you for joining us on this special episode of the Phillies Nation podcast. You can follow Pat at PatGallonCBS3. I know he's got a great new Facebook fan page. Uh, You can check him out on there. And uh, we certainly wish Pat a lot of success. Uh, My wife and I really enjoy seeing Pat on CBS3. He's a guy, hardest working guy I know, certainly deserves everything that is happening for him. With that being said, we'd like to thank you for listening to this very special edition of the Phillies Nation podcast. Tomorrow, Steve and I will be back. Yeah, King Carino, the king of old school. Steve and I will be talking with very, very special topics. Steve took his son to Philly spring training. And uh, I think they had the time of their life. <laughs> I, it, it was incredible. Some of the pictures you saw, uh, just some awesome father son bonding stuff. And Steve saw some great baseball too. Steve was there for the big 15 to 12 romp. 
He was there for the five innings of no-hit ball by Jeremy Hellickson. So we will get Steve on the horn for the official weekly Phillies Nation podcast tomorrow. But until then, thanks for listening to this uh, very special edition with Pat Gallen. And we'll see you next time right here on the Phillies Nation podcast. Good night, everybody. Come on, Pat. Come on, love. I'm just ready to